time now, as The Voice just said, for Think Tank. So pleased to have former Toronto Deputy Mayor and City Councilor Anna Bailau, as well as Jamie Ellerton, Principal at Canaptus, uh, here to discuss a lot of important topics. To the both of you, I haven't talked to you yet, so I'm going to say Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Ben. Okay, so this first story, I think, draws on both of your experiences, and it frightens me. It should frighten you guys with even more experience than, than me. The fact that um, that cybersecurity uh, folks are saying that AI-generated videos are uh, are going to be so effective, so real, so lifelike, that we're not going to be able to tell the difference and distinguish between sort of Pierre Polyev saying X and a fake video of Pierre Polyev saying Y in the next election. This could alter the course of our elections, and we do not have the tools to counter these uh, this technology. Uh, Anna, let's start with you as, as somebody who knows how important it is to get your message out as clearly and as po- and, and as authentically to the voters. How serious of a threat is this? Uh, ben, I think it's very serious. Um, you know, we saw a little bit uh, uh, being used in the last municipal by-election. Uh, it wasn't evident that it was the person. I mean, I, it we could clearly identify that it was AI used and many candidates were you were asked and 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 it was more of a comedy thing, but it was already started to 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 be used. And it's very concerned to me. What what concerns me the most is that I think people are going to be so turned off with things like this because people are already busy in their daily lives. It's so hard to get people engaged and involved. And with things like this, that people don't even know what to believe anymore, what is real, what is not real. And with conversations uh, happening during elections around these issues, I'm concerned that it's going to turn off even more people uh, to be engaged in the democratic uh, process as well. So, yes, it's a big issue for candidates or people in politics that want to make sure that, you know, there's a real message, a true message out there. But it's definitely uh, a threat for for democracy and for engagement in in from the electorate. So that's that's a big concern, I think. Jamie, do you agree that this is going to turn people off? Because I think it's, it might have the opposite effect on at least a certain type of person where this is going to electrify people because no one is going to create the deepest of deep fakes uh, to get Pierre Polyev to tweak his message or Justin Trudeau to tweak his message. They're going to get those guys to say the complete opposite of what they what they actually stand for. Yeah, I think it's probably a bit of both, Ben. I think there'll be some people who just believe whatever they see of and are a bot hook, line, sinker. Uh, there'll be others where I think it's actually going to further so distrust uh, and not know what to believe. Uh, and it's going to make it harder for political candidates and, and political parties to get their message out and engage with people. Uh, I think if you look at what how fast uh, a false report spreads online today and how long it takes to correct it. And that correction never gets as far. This is going to compound that problem. Uh, and I think as a society, we need to find uh, figure out what that way is to, to use reliable sources for information, how we're exchanging those ideas uh, and rely on the better instincts of political parties and political candidates in, in calling that out. But uh, it's hard to be optimistic. Yeah, I, and I genuinely, genuinely worry about how we can counter this. If we don't have the technology to, to counter it, if, if that lie can get around the world before the truth can put its pants on in the morning, um, are, are we going to have to legislate this? And and look, the in, in Hollywood, the actors and the writers recognized that AI was going to be coming for their jobs and they, and they, they, they took to the streets and they, there was a strike over it. We can't do that in politics. You can't strike before an election. The voters can't strike. 
Uh, so I don't even know what we what we can do here. What what levers would you pull at Anna uh, to to at least improve this situation? Well, this is a, a problem that governments are having all over the world with these kinds of technologies is we're constantly on a catch up mode instead of being proactive. We've seen it with so many new technologies, right? You, you talk about Airbnb or Uber or everything like these things came in and governments created legislations way after these things were already being widely used uh, by, by people. And I think that we governments need to be more proactive around these things and start uh, creating some regulations around this. Um, so absolutely that governments need to, to, to get ahead of the curve. Um, but I, I was also going to say, you know, for, for political teams and political parties and, and candidates, you know, to have the other teams starting spreading messages like this, and then by the time that you're just, the, the time you have to spend to make sure that the truth is out there, you're already losing. So that, that, that's a, a huge concern as well for any political party or any candidate as well with these kinds of technologies is now all kinds of uh, misinformation is going to be put out there and you're going to have to spend the time to correct the record. And by the time that is done, you're missing the opportunity to put out the messages you really want to get out there. So it's uh, it's going to change the dynamics uh, uh, significantly. And I think that governments need to get ahead of these things um, quicker and, and start implementing uh, legislation and, and bring tech people into into uh, these departments yeah. to create to create regulation. I think you're we right. We don't have the skills. Yeah. We don't have the skills right now in many of the, the governments to create these regulations. So we need to get ahead of the curve. I- I think that's a, I think that's a good idea bringing in, bringing the smartest people in to bear to, to solve this situation because politicians can't solve it on their own. Let's stick with messaging. Let's stick with communications. And um, Jamie, I'm going to bring this to you first. Uh, Stephen Guilbeault, our federal environment minister, has admitted that Pierre Polièvre has been masterful and far better at communicating his version of what the carbon tax stands for than the liberals. First of all, I got to ask, why is that the case? This is their policy. They are the government. They've got money behind them. They, they certainly aren't afraid to spend money. So, so what's their excuse for being behind the eight ball on this? And two, um, maybe it's just that, I mean, he, he wants to blame uh, uh, Pierre Polièvre, but maybe th- their, their dog just doesn't hunt anymore. Maybe people just don't want this anymore. Yeah, I think if you actually look at the real policy-based arguments for a carbon tax, Ben, the Liberals actually don't have the courage of what they claim to be their own convictions. If they want a carbon tax to truly be effective, to change people's behavior, and to really make it impossible or near impossible for people to afford to use fossil fuels and therefore incentivize the shift to alternatives, then anyone who studies this says the carbon tax needs to be at least three times higher, if not a lot more, than what it currently is today. But the liberals don't want to do that because they think it's going to be political suicide. And so they're kind of caught in this go-between where they want to be the party that is seen as climate action uh, and to coalesce progressive votes in in their voter universe around that message uh, and try and blunt the rise of the NDP, while at the same time not scare off the vast majority of the population who's struggling in an era of high inflation, who can't afford to buy a home because we've had too many politicians for too long blocking our ability to build homes, who are struggling to put food on the table and say, why are you trying to tax me? And like, oh, so you're going to tax me, but you're going to send me more every quarter. And it just feels like a political shell game. And as a result, when Pierre Polyan has a very clear message about the cost of living, about making life more affordable, uh, and about ending the carbon tax and saying it's a tax on everything, that resonates with people. And which is why I think the liberals are struggling right now to really sell their climate pricing scheme. 
Anna Bailao, the, uh, the, the great irony to me is that, uh, that the, uh, a, 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 a carbon tax should find purchase amongst conservatives. It's a, at its heart, it's a consumption tax. The more you consume, the more you pay. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, the, the, the problem is it feels to me like this was a situation of uh, right message, wrong messenger. Uh, the notion that only Nixon could go to China, right? You needed, you needed somebody, uh, the, the last person you suspect to be able to do it uh, in order to accomplish it, that if this had been a conservative idea, it wouldn't have come with the raft of other liberal spending policies that have jacked up the price of everything on everybody. If this had been a conservative idea, you could you could conceive of a situation where this would have been the one tax as opposed to one of a dozen taxes. And had that happened, you might have you might have a population far more eager to join in and fight climate change through a through a carbon tax. I, I, th- I think you're right, but I think uh, the minister gave credit to Paul Yevon. I think uh, credit where credit is due, and they're very good with their communications and their messaging. And carbon tax is not the only issue. We've seen it on other issues, such as housing, where the conservatives have been very good uh, with messaging. They're really tackling the pocket uh, book uh, issues that Canadians are so concerned about. They've, they've tapped into uh, a frustration and anger, uh, uh, a concern that is out there from Canadians. And and so the timing, I think, I'm not sure if even if the Conservatives were to put this tax at this time where Canadians are so concerned about the economy, so concerned about, like Jamie said, about the price of housing, the price of putting food on the table, if this was, was the right timing. And I have to say what the Liberals did uh, in the Atlantic, by delaying the implementation, didn't help with their no. message. Correct. No. I mean, that was that was uh, you know a shit on their own foot uh, that that they did in there. That um, you know how how can you say that is not going to cost you anything? But at the same time, in the same sentence, saying that you're delaying in the Atlantic because there are some affordability issues that you need to tackle. Like it's it's how do you counter that yeah. messaging? Like you can't. Once you so, once you okay. once you give them an opening. Once you give once you give uh, an opening on that tax and say, well, we're going to have a carve out. Everyone, people want to expand that carve out. That's that's uh, that's a a a, a, pro- a problem of their own making. All right, time now for some uh, expert sleuthing and and um, and theorizing, if you will. What do you make, Jamie Ellerton, of the mystery of why Walmart abandoned a one hundred million dollar distribution facility? That they built and plan to open very soon that was going to employ over 200 people in the city of Vaudreuil, Quebec. They build this thing and in the 11th hour, just weeks before it was set to open, they just abandoned it. They rolled it up and said, no, we're done here. Yeah, I think probably the only thing we can say with certainty, Ben, is that this comes down to a decision and it just didn't make sense for them to follow through. Whether that's because we are seeing a kind of pullback in consumer spending. Uh, Maybe the shift to online wasn't quite as great on a sustained basis as people thought it was going to be post-pandemic. Yes, obviously online sales continue to boom and grow, but maybe not quite as exponentially as people thought it was going to continue as when they first made this announcement, almost I think it was two years ago now. Uh, And uh, the broader logistics operations, you've seen others try and encroach on the space of Amazon of kind of having this delivery hub distribution center model to bring goods closer to where people are ultimately buying them and then get them distributed via logistics companies to deliver them that last little bit of the leg. Uh, maybe it just doesn't actually work for Walmart's business and like actually continuing to feed their stores the way they have traditionally 
uh, and having their shipping companies deal with the online sales is something they're going to do. So I don't think we're going to hear the truth on this pretty certainly, but I'm pretty sure if Walmart's walking away from an investment of uh, this size at the 11th hour, it's because they simply don't see the business case the way they maybe thought they did. Anna Bailau, I do love the um, the mayor of Vaudreuil's uh, silver lining on this whole thing. He says, hey, look, they built me a massive distribution hub and walked away. I got a free building out of this. I can do whatever I want with this. As somebody who worked in city government, is that is it is that truly a, a positive, a net positive for the city uh, or is he really just trying to find the silver lining? Well, I, I you know, it's 225 jobs. So I think that, you know, we have to keep it, keep in mind that, you know, those, those are less jobs that at least in the immediate future are not going to be happening. Uh, kudos to the mayor to be looking for how to turn this challenge and this negative into a positive. I, you know, I, I would do the same thing and say, OK, you know what, what, what can we get out of this? And, and for him to jump into it right away and look for opportunities to bring something else so he can replace that economic benefit that the jobs and, and this facility would create in the region. Uh, I think it's the appropriate thing to do in the immediate, in the immediate future, of course. You know, it's 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 jobs, it's it's uh, economic growth that that the region is not is not going to have as well. Uh, ben, I just I, when I read the story, I, I also thought about the conversation that we're having um, in Canada around the big uh, food chains and and how closed our market is and how tough it is for other um, uh, big uh uh, companies coming into Canada and how our minister is going around the world trying to get other companies. Does it have anything to do with that? Does it have anything to do with the monopoly that some of the big stores have already in our country? And that's why we're not seeing some of them and, and maybe some of the expansion. I think it'd be worth to look at that as mm. well, given that, uh, that our government is, is so keen on trying to get um, uh, other companies to come and invest in Canada. I think this is a red flag. And, and uh, if I was in government, I would be looking into the reasons for this. Jamie Ellerton, our deputy prime minister, has said many times that she rides her bike and takes public transit a, a great deal. She doesn't own a car. She lives very close to a subway station. And yet access to information records show that Finance Minister Christia Freeland has been billing thousands of dollars for limos and taxis and Ubers in the GTA. How do you... What would you advise her office when this news comes out? Well, Ben, I might actually have a bit of sympathy yeah. for the deputy prime minister on this one, because it actually costs a lot of money to just run your life and do things. When you are constantly on the go for a living, going from event to event, you need logistic support. So the fact that she incurred this, could she find a cheaper way to do it? while still being able to move about. People are going to have that debate. But what's actually the problem here is the kind of like, sanctimonious hypocrisy. And that's why I think people are going to be so mad about this. This is a government that has a habit of trying to lecture Canadians. Christian Freeland's communication style often comes across as extremely condescending. And so when she's, everyone remembers out in the summer, when she was in PEI talking about how she takes her bike everywhere in downtown Toronto, and like, maybe you should do that too. But I remember back in the summer, people were like, oh, she might have a subway in Toronto. We don't have that option here in Atlantic Canada, right. and it kind of became a national news story. So now to have four, five, six months later uh, to have the story that here in her home turf, she's racking up this massive bill for limousines is how the story puts it. That probably just means that for a professional car service, and it was probably a more standard sedan. People hear limousines, they think of 
the glitzy red carpets of your former life at E-Talk Bang stretch limousines. <laughs> uh, that's, that's probably not what the limousine driving her around is, but that's what people think about. Yeah, I had, I had, Jamie, I had it in my contract. I had it in my contract. Wherever I go, I need to be driven around as if I'm going to prom. Uh, Anna, and I I don't think anybody begrudges anybody how they get around the city. I certainly don't. I, you know, I, I said it earlier on the show today. I take far more Ubers than I should. I take far more Ubers than I know is financially responsible. I don't fault anybody for that, but it does seem to be a common theme uh, that at fair or unfair, but I think it's, I think it's fair uh, on the liberals that it's a do as I say, not as I do. You know, you're going to pay the carbon tax, but we're going to fly dozens of people around the world for conventions and for summits. Uh, and and we're going to t- take private jets and we're going to tell you to 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 ride a bike. But we're going to take we're going to take Ubers. It's it's a very, very sanctimonious. Do as I say, but not as I do. Yeah. Once again, Ben, it's the messaging in here. Right. Uh, I, I have to be honest. I, I have seen her in her bike. I have seen her arrive at events uh, on her bike. So she does use her, her bike. And personally, uh, you know, I, I, I don't expect my deputy prime minister to be on, on, on a bike all the time in the GTA. I do expect that, you know, she has a very busy, busy schedule and that she uses the cabs and, and, and has security around her and so on. And, and I don't think that's the issue, right? The no. issue was the way that the message came across. 100%. And, and, and you know, I think she was probably just referring more of uh, her private life, but it, it's, it's what we're talking about in here. I think we all agree on this. It's, you can't just come across as uh, sentimonious on, on these issues and, and, and not recognize that people have, you know, daily life and daily challenges sometimes. And sometimes they do need to use these things and, and, and they need to use these cars. And, and that's where they, people sometimes feel like the government loses touch is that they don't recognize some of the challenges that people are facing, or at least they don't feel like they recognize. They might say they do, but, but then uh, when, when the action comes into place, they're not seeing that. And, and I think that's what they, they're trying very hard to change that messaging uh, on all kinds of fronts. Um, we've seen a huge shift on the messaging around housing, um, and, and I think they do need to do it on a, on a lot of other issues. Mm-hmm. And small issues like this really tick off people. Like when you, you have somebody, you know, lecturing you um, uh, about the way that you move around the city, but then numbers like this uh, come about and, and they're justifiable, you know, have to be honest, they're justifiable. You know, she probably has, you know, back to back meetings and she needs oh, yeah. to get that around. Uh, but it's, it's the messaging uh, that needs to be, uh, needs to be consistent and clear. I think you said that perfectly. Thank you so much. I'm talking on think tank with Jamie Ellerton and Anna Bailao. Very happy to have you both here. Um, there is a story in the Toronto Star that I really want to talk about because it's it feels like a good news story. You know, porch pirates, people who show up at your home and steal your packages while you are away seems to be coming becoming more and more of a problem. Now, I don't know that it's an indication that there is more crime or that there's just more packages, uh, but it was nice to see in the Toronto Star and in, in, a, in a moment of 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 proper and and fair self-promotion. They they told the story of a. Toronto Star delivery person who stopped a a, a porch pirate uh, dead in his tracks and saved a family from having to order something else from Amazon. Uh, Have you guys ever experienced porch pirates before? Jamie, we'll start with you. 
Uh, so thankfully, I've never been a personal uh, victim of this. Uh, I've lived in condo buildings now with my husband for uh, the past seven years, I guess, since we've been together. Uh, but it's definitely been an issue in our buildings where people will follow someone in, come in, take a few packages uh, and bolt. It's particularly common amongst the holidays. Uh, I have other friends across the Toronto and the GTA who have indeed have been taken from their front packages. And it's kind of a, a bit of a roulette game. But the, ultimately, I think people skew to the convenience of having those things delivered and uh, try and manage it accordingly. And I want to I, I want to treat this man as the hero that he is. A, a little bit of street justice never hurt anybody, as far as I'm concerned. When it comes to something like this, hopefully he did so safely. I, like I said earlier, I don't think that a guy on a bicycle who's going around residential neighborhoods stealing packages is necessarily packing heat. So I think he was probably safe. But uh, I, I kind of like a little a little street justice, a little vigilante justice when it comes to this every now and then. Absolutely, and it's such a great story, you know, as, as you're beginning the year talking about new year's resolutions and and just giving this this idea to people that you know what let let's look up let's look to others let's let's commit to do some acts of good for everybody because we need more of that in our city right we need more of yep. you know just stop looking at our own phone stop looking at our own lives just just going out and 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 looking at for what's wrong like this guy picked up a sign that something was wrong and he acted on it. Maybe that's what we need more in our city. Maybe looking around and seeing what's wrong, speaking up, doing a gesture, being of assistance for somebody. I thought it was such a great story for the beginning of the year and that uh, it's a resolution that many of us uh, should be taking and, and I think would be a better city for it and, and, and better people for it. Well, I'm, I'm so, glad you mentioned resolutions uh, and let's, let's end on that. We have a couple of minutes left. Uh, Jamie, do you have any new year's resolutions? Do you have a, a new outlook that you're bringing into 2024 it might not be a specific resolution but is there something you want to improve in your life or build on in 2024 yeah i was gonna say i'm not really talking about my resolutions but here i am on the radio so i guess i'm gonna do just that uh you're yeah, not I, you're, you're keeping it secret because I, <laughs> I do the opposite i need the accountability of everybody knowing what i'm going up against yeah, I find that some people like to bask in like the positive aspects of what a resolution can be in January. There's no follow through, and I kind of find that repeated failed resolution cycle a bit, uh, yeah, a bit tedious. But no, to be honest, my uh, kind of I guess unofficial res- New Year's resolution is to be more deliberate with my time, uh, to have a kind of less mindless scrolling. I am getting back on the wagon and being uh, more persistent with my fitness and. Uh, Try to get a little healthier as I uh, get up there. I'm approaching my 40s, so uh, the immortality of youth is now officially behind me. And uh, taking care of my body needs to be a higher priority. So, good for uh, you. Healthier fitness regimen. So, uh, what my, my to do list for 2024. And uh, Annabella, what about you? Well, one of my resolutions then is to cook a bit more. So oh yes, after 12, 12 years in politics. I have to say, my cooking skills went down the drain. So I have decided that I'm going to improve that quite a bit. Well, so, Anna, yeah. how are you? How are you going to do that? Are you going to do the one of these days? Are you going to do the food <laughs> delivery? Are you going to do like the, the 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 food the cooking delivery services, or are you going to go grocery shopping more? Are you going to find your recipes in books or online? What's your plan? No, 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 no. <laughs> Doing all the way grocery shopping uh, and 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 get the recipes going and enjoying that a bit more. So. Stay tuned. I'll, I'll let you know how that goes throughout the year. <laughs> I, I can tell you that that we we um, we we added s- sitting for more meals with our kids uh, onto our list that we started doing in November. Our lives it, it improved by a factor of ten just by being able to sit with them and spend more time with them in a quiet environment where nobody had their phones. Uh, and uh, it, it is, I I cannot 
I cannot talk more positively about all the good stuff that comes from cooking at home. And when I said that I take too many Ubers, I also say I use Uber Eats too much as well. So that's something that we are definitely trying to change uh, next year. Hey, to the both of you, to Jamie Ellerton and to Anna Bailao, thank you so much for joining us on Think Tank. It has been a great one.